Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. So this week, we will be talking about Murder Digs Deep, season two, episode 11, first aired December 29th, 1985. And the IMDb summary reads, an archaeological dig, potentially the site of Coronado's City of Gold, does not please everyone as a new corpse is discovered. All right, you know the drill. Let's get into the characters and right into the episode. So we have Dr. Aubrey Benson, Dr. Stan Garfield, Karen Parks, Raymond Tucros, Steve Gamble, Cynthia Armstrong, Gideon Armstrong, and in a non-Cabot Cove episode, Dr. Seth Hazlitt, who apparently likes archaeology and invited Jessica to the dig. So we find out a little bit more about our friend, Dr. Hazlitt. So before we jump right into the episode, just a note, well, two notes. One, I will be using the term Native American. Okay. (laughs) All right. And two, the scene that I'm about to describe is not on the television version. This is on the Prime Video version, and it's probably on the video version as well, but it was edited out of the TV version. So let's get into it. So we start out in a museum and we see a rope drop from the ceiling and a man climb down it. And it appears to be the Egyptian exhibit. However, they are not going to be talking about Egyptian artifacts. It will be Native American artifacts. So I'm assuming that the storage room that this thief now goes into contains said Native American artifacts. Now in this storage room, which is not locked, it seems like a pass-through that anybody could go through, which is definitely uh, a security issue, I would think. But... He hears a sound, hides behind some boxes, and a security guard comes in with a flashlight. Now, I'm going to assume that the lights are so low in this museum that the security guard did not notice that gigantic rope hanging from the ceiling because I did not see this thief take said rope. And two, why would he? How would he get out of the museum without that rope? So either it's dark Or this is a terrible security guard because I would assume that if you're doing rounds that you would check each and every window and door to make sure no one has broken in because clearly there's not a regular alarm system in here where as soon as the guy jumped down that it would have gone off. But okay. And two, it can't be that dark in the museum because then the security guard could bump into a priceless artifact and break it or knock something over or trigger an alarm by touching (laughs) an exhibit when trying to feel his way around. So I'm assuming there's lights because in real life, there would be some level of lighting for security at night in the museum, hence the movie. (laughs) 
and just in case some of the exhibits come to life, like in Night of the Museum, Night at the Museum One and Two. Security needs to be on their guard. This is terrible. He's terrible. Anyway, so we see the thief when he's hiding from whatever noise, which turns out to be a security guard. He pulls out this antique knife, right? And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a whole second. You ready to stab somebody? This is no longer a burglary. Like, this is an armed robbery at this point, sir. This is very serious. Okay, very, very serious. But the security guard, who's not really securing this place, just goes right around the corner and on to the next room. The thief then pops back up immediately, which I'm like, dude, wait a good five, 10 minutes to make sure he's gone for real and not just coming back around. And he goes to this box, the thief that is, that is just folded edge over edge, right? Flap over flap, not taped in any way, okay? Now, I don't know if that's how museums store their stuff, just on a regular floor that anybody has access to and just in unsecured boxes. I don't know. I've been to many museums and I've never seen this. But um, yeah, maybe maybe this is how they do it here. So <laughs> that's how the scene ends with him rummaging through a box, an unlabeled, unsecured, basically open box. The next scene is where the television edited version starts. And it's Jessica and who we find out is Raymond Tucros driving to the archaeological dig site, right? So she's clearly not driving because she does not drive. But also this is in a Jeep with open top, rough road, dusty, the whole nine. And so Jessica's like, uh, does the road get any better than this? And Raymond's like, no, it gets worse. So we come up to a guard booth. The guard is armed and looks no nonsense, absolutely, and calls in on the walkie-talkie, letting whoever on the other end, like, I don't think it's Gideon Armstrong, who is the person who's running this dig, but the other security guard that we later meet. And Jessica's name is on the list, so they're approved to continue on and go to the site. So we find out that Raymond is Native American and not for nothing, he looks Native American. And so actually what I did, right, taking a step aside, right, when I was looking up the show, on the episode specifically on IMDb, I noticed that the actor's name was Randolph Mantooth. And I thought that was an interesting last name. So I tapped on him to see, you know, what information they had about him, his biography. And I found out that he is, in fact, Native American. So he has heritage in, according to Wikipedia, I think four different Native American tribes, as well as Irish and German heritage. According to IMDb, it specifically, it only listed Seminole Native American. I feel better, right? (laughs) That the actor is actually Native American because he kind of looked Native American, but you know, whatever. Everybody looks different. People have different features. But 
I feel better that it was not someone pretending to be Native American. But we'll get into that. This is the interesting thing. We'll get into that in a, in a halfway through, I think, <laughs> is when we get into that. So they arrive at the site. Seth is there. And he is like, oh, I had just about given up on you. You were supposed to be here two days ago. And Jessica's like, you know, Letitia and Henry had a row. And so I had her come over and, you know, I basically had to, you know, figure (laughs) had to give her a safe place to stay. That's concerning. But she finally made it and she's happy to be there. We then have a shot of Gideon and Cynthia. So Gideon is on the phone. Well, not really the phone, like the two-way radio. And Cynthia is just kind of like hanging around. She is his wife. And Gideon is the one who is running this site. And he's talking about, um, you know, that... Actually, no, he doesn't get into that just yet. So we kind of see them, meet them. He's on the phone Cynthia is in the room. Then we go over to the site. And Seth is walking with Jessica. Seth has sweated through his shirt. He has. And you know what? I kind of appreciate the fact that they had him like that. So I'm, they were on site. Like they, they may have been in California. California has deserts. But they were definitely in some place that was super hot. And that was as real as you were going to get. <laughs> so I appreciate that. He had a light colored shirt on and it was like a hundred and some odd degrees. Now, granted, Jessica had on a shirt and a jacket, okay? And a jacket and was like, oh, does the weather get any better than this or however she put it? <laughs> Seth was like, no, it starts to get hot around noon. So it's not even at the height of heat and it's hot ma'am, take off your jacket. I, I, okay, no. (laughs) How are you complaining about the heat? And you have on a whole jacket. Seth has on a shirt that he has sweated through. No, Jessica, take off your coat. (laughs) It's a full on coat too. (laughs) It's not like a thin, you know, overlay or something. It's a full on coat. Anyway, we find out in this scene that Seth is the one who suggested to Jessica that she write a book entitled Murder at the Dig and that he had no idea that when he invited her after making said suggestion that she would in fact come to the dig, right? And Jessica was like invited or asked, like you basically challenged me, (laughs) to come and do this. So, you know, never one to, you know, not take a challenge. You know, Jessica was like, I will be there and I will be fully involved. And she is. So (laughs) we then meet Karen, who Jessica will be sharing a tent with. (laughs) And she's nice enough. She's a grad student. We find out And we later find out that it's at Southwest University. We also will later meet Steve, who is also a grad student, who also goes to Southwest University. The scene then changes to back inside the trailer, and Gideon is 
kicking Cynthia out because he has business, you know? And I'm like, that's your whole wife. And he's, she's like, dude, it's hot outside. Like we're the only, us and Aubrey are the only ones who have air conditioning. And he's like, this is business, get out. Like, are you serious? She's better than me. And she actually leaves. Like she actually leaves the trailer. And that's absurd, but looking at their relationship, I guess she figured it was just safer for everyone if she just went ahead and and left. So once she leaves, Gideon is on the phone and he's like, you know, we haven't found anything yet, but I think we're close. We're close. I can smell it. Yes, this is definitely, you know, a good sight. Clearly, he is talking to someone on his team as opposed to the person who owns the land. Because we'll find out why I've come to that conclusion soon. So the next scene, we're at the food tent. And Aubrey comes in and he's like, Mrs. Fleischer, right? Not Fletcher, Fleischer. It's nice to meet you. So Jessica corrects him. Seth then lets her know that Aubrey believes that this is Coronado's City of Gold, right? And Aubrey's like, it's a possibility. I'm not convinced, convinced, but it's a possibility. (laughs) And he's like, listen, Garfield is the one who, meaning Dr. Stan Garfield, is the one who believes that this is you know, a gold mine, literally. And Jessica's like, well, I'm confused. I thought we were here to unearth a 500-year-old Anastasi village. And Aubrey's like, eh, that's possible too. <laughs> like anything, whatever. Let's find something important. So Aubrey then asked Jessica to come to his trailer that afternoon so that they can speak. You know, author to author, they uh, have something in common. You know, they can have a conversation. And it might be a nice reprieve during the late afternoon considering how hot it already is there. So Jessica agrees and Aubrey leaves. And Seth says to Karen, like, is it just me or was... Dr. Benton hitting on Jessica. <laughs> yes, Seth, you are correct. And But also, no, Seth, you are incorrect. Okay. <laughs> so then Steve comes in and he's like, Karen, they're asking for us to come out. You know, he says, get your hot little body. Okay. I'm like, oh, Wait a second, Steve, that's inappropriate. Um, That is sexual harassment. I'm just saying. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) they leave to go back to the dig. Jessica then says, well, I've met the egomaniac, the ingenue, and what was the third? She didn't say idiot. The juvenile. That was the third one. The juvenile who else is left, right? And so Seth was like, how about you meet the brains of the operation? 
So they go out and we see them now with Dr. Garfield. And he is showing Jessica some artifacts that they have recovered. One, they are fully intact vases, okay? Or containers, whatever you want to call them. Fully intact clay vases, okay? And they are incredibly clean, okay? I'm like, dude, you bought those at Ikea. Was Ikea here in 1985? You know what I mean. Or Home Goods. Was Home Goods around in 1985? Whatever. You know what? No. They are in New Mexico, okay? They are in the United States of America in New Mexico, okay? And they probably purchased that on a Native American reservation in New Mexico because those were clean. They did not dig those up from the ground. There is no way you can convince me as clean as those clay vases were and as intact. I promise you they had a price tag on the bottom and they were just like, keep the bottom facing you, okay? (laughs) Or they just cut that scene out where you could see the, the Ikea tag on the bottom or the Native American stamp, okay, (laughs) of authenticity on the bottom. Anyway, so Gideon Armstrong comes up to Garfield asking him where his, where the maps are. I think that was, was the question, where are the maps for the site? And so he's introduced to Jessica. He is on the verge of being rude, but you know, he's cordial enough. Anyway, so the next scene, we're at dinner. And that's where Jessica meets Cynthia, who is Gideon's wife. Like I said, we met her earlier when she was being kicked out of the trailer by her husband or camper. I'll use them interchangeably. And she is beautiful. Okay, she's beautiful and she has this lovely raspy voice. And I'm like, she is definitely a trophy wife, but like she's been in this marriage for a while. You know what I mean? Like she is not a brand new wife. Like they've been through some stuff together, but she is definitely someone who looks good on his arm. Now, I'm not saying that Gideon is unattractive or old or decrepit or anything like that, you know, he is well kept, but Cynthia is definitely a trophy wife. <laughs> okay. She is keeping it together. She is stylish in every single outfit, every single scene. She is on point. Sweaty, dusty, muddy, whatever. She is on point. Okay. Now back to our regularly scheduled review. Okay. (laughs) So while they're at dinner, suddenly there is this Native American singing. And when you look up onto the mountain, there's a man in what appears to be traditional Native American clothing. It looks like he's wearing a war bonnet as well as, I think Jessica refers to it later as buffalo robes. Um, and, you know, perhaps a religious outfit of some sort, uh, or a war 
chief outfit. I do not know, but clearly what you would associate with Native American clothing, uh, but not a regular everyday outfit, right? Seth. Then reveals that every night this happens that, okay, I'm going to say this, quote, (laughs) Sitting Bull sings the top 40. Okay, that was kind of offensive, but funny. I'm sorry. It was funny, though. (laughs) What? And not for nothing, Steve is kind of a jerk. No, actually, Steve is a jerk. And he just confirms this belief in every scene that he's in. And I'm going to try to remember to point that out. But yeah, Steve is kind of a jerk and um, his comments were uh, inappropriate. And there's that. So Jessica's like, okay, I don't believe that that is a Native American ghost. Okay, no. But I do believe that someone is trying to send us a message. So even if this is not Coronado City of Gold, which we don't know, perhaps it is, perhaps it's not. I think that someone's trying to send us a message. So what does that tell you? That maybe there is something to be found and they're trying to ward us away from it. And Steve is like, well, listen, if this doesn't work out, Armstrong can write it off for a big tax credit. So, you know, it's no skin off of his nose. He doesn't really care. So the next scene, we are, it's the next morning. We're at the site and Jessica is hands deep, okay, (laughs) in one of the sections um, looking for artifacts. And Raymond is there and Seth is there as well, of course. And Karen is also nearby. Seth then asked Raymond, Um, what does Anastasi mean? And Raymond says, well, it means the great builders. Seth then asks where Raymond was last night when the singing started and Raymond just walks off. Once he walks off, Jessica says, you know, that's strange because in my research, Anastasi means ancient ones that were here before. And Seth is like, well, it seems like uh, Raymond doesn't know his heritage. And I'm like, "Mm, seems like he doesn't. So unless there are other interpretations, right? So they specifically said Navajo, meaning for it. So I don't know, like maybe other Native American tribes, it meant different things for them. So I'm not going to completely write that off, but we find out why it's true that Raymond doesn't know his heritage. <laughs> well, maybe he does know his heritage, but he doesn't know about Native Americans. So I'll say that. Jessica then finds something. It turns out to be a solid gold prayer stick. So Jessica is able to tag it. It's a huge deal. I think this is the first piece of gold that they've recovered at the site. And so Aubrey is like, okay, so we can schedule a press conference. We can have them in by 10, have a light snack, and they can be back in time to report for the evening news. Gideon says, no, there's not going to be a press conference. 
And so Raymond is like, yeah, so you can continue to hide while you steal more from my people. To which Gideon is like, this land belongs to a Santa Fe lawyer. Your ancestors were evicted a long time ago. Hold up a second. Hold up a second, right? How do you evict Native Americans from the land that they were already on? Okay, how? Mm, That's called stealing. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. We all know. We all know what happened and how that happened. (laughs) I'm calm now. (laughs) I'm not, but we're going to move on. So... The next scene, we are outside the tents and Jessica and Seth are talking. Jessica says that Karen and Steve are into each other. Seth is completely oblivious. He's like, no, they're grad students and they're both trying to get a scholarship. So no, they're not into each other. Jessica's like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, okay. Okay, oblivious. (laughs) So as they're walking to dinner, they see Cynthia sitting on the steps of their camper, of the Armstrong camper slash trailer. And she's cleaning her shoes. Now, originally I thought they were boots. I've seen this episode a lot of times, right? But this is the first time I looked at the shoes that she was cleaning and their sandals, their platform peep toe strap back sandals, okay? <laughs> that she's cleaning green mud off of. So, yeah, it's, we will get into that. But the fact is, when you watch it again, look at her shoes. These are not like boots. I'm like, why would you have shoes like that in the desert, okay? Like, on an archaeological dig. Like, you're not going to the beach. And even if you're not actively digging, just walking around on, like, sandy areas and uneven ground, that you would want more substantial shoes instead of a platform sandal that you could twist your ankle in. But you know what? Maybe she's a professional. She's a professional, so there's no issue with her walking in platform sandals on uneven ground and in the sand. I guess so. Anyway, so they invite her to walk with them to dinner. And she's like, oh, I'm a walking disaster. Take a stop and look at her. She looks a freak amazing. So if this is a walking disaster for her, I do not want to be standing next to her when she's at her best. Because if this is at her worst, I cannot stand next to her when she's at her best. Just stunning, okay? (laughs) Anyway, she was like, let me get cleaned up and I'll meet you down there. So the next scene, we're at dinner, right? So, of course, right on time, the person in the Native American garb up on the mountain starts singing again. Now, my question is, how is his singing so clear all the way down in the valley? 
Now, are the acoustics just amazing in this valley that he can sing and it's just so clear to everybody on the site, okay? (laughs) Sound is a wonderful thing, but I don't know how magical it is to be able to (laughs) to do that. Is it like the spot in the Capitol building where if you're whispering in one spot, you can hear it loud and clear in another spot halfway across the room? Is it like that? I'm going to guess it's like that. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> so at this point, Cynthia's like, can't you do anything about that? And so the security guards who are not phased are like, what do you want us to do? We go up there. He's gone by the time we get up there. We can't do anything about it. Just basically sit down. Okay, ma'am. So Cynthia's like, I don't think you're trying hard enough. She just, she then grabs a rifle. She cocks said rifle. And it's like, and it's not just like you pull the, the barrel back or whatever you call it, right? No. Like she had to like lock the bullet into place, aim it, and fire. There was a good like two or three steps that she needed to take in order to fire not one, but two bullets. She had to rack two bullets. I'm like, ma'am, you are not intoxicated. I don't know how anybody thought as soon as she picked up that gun and racked that first bullet that it was like two steps away from being a musket, okay? (laughs) How many steps you had to get to get the bullet into place to be able to shoot. And she did it twice while allegedly highly intoxicated, right? But okay, as soon as she fires the second shot, you hear a yell loud and clear, even though this man is a good, like, honestly, it's like two and a half miles away. Like between across and up, that's a good two and a half miles, all right? Can't convince me it's closer. And you hear him scream and you see him fall. And she's like, oh my God, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. She's sober now, right? But she was drunk, but not too drunk that you couldn't rack and fire a rifle twice, okay? All right, I get it. I get it. I've never been that type of intoxicated, so I have no idea if you are able to function as such and then automatically be sober. I guess that's a thing. Maybe as a trophy wife, that is a skill you have. Oh, Okay, that's what we're going to go with. We're going to go with that. So the next scene, we're on the mountain. They find Raymond dead. However, he is not wearing any of the Native American clothing that he was seen in from afar. Seth is like, okay, Cynthia didn't kill him because there are no gunshots it looks like he died from the fall off of the ledge, right? And Cynthia's like, well, it's still my fault. Steve then pipes up and says, well, maybe the shot scared him and he lost his footing and fell. And so at this point, this is when Cynthia says, well, it's still my fault. I, I shouldn't have shot. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. And Gideon's like, 
Girl, get yourself together. You ain't kill this man. He shouldn't have been up here acting a fool anyway. So let's go back down and talk. <laughs> it's like, I ain't got time for this nonsense. So they meet back up in the food tent and Gideon is on damage control. He's like, all right, let's figure out how to get these people to stay. Garfield is saying that Raymond was trying to keep them from making these discoveries. Um, Aubrey says that he joined this effort not to help, but to destroy it. Jessica says, listen, this Raymond may not have been alone up there. So, you know, we may need to still be concerned. Gideon is like, well, I don't think so. I think it's it was him and it was only him. And Jessica's like, uh, I think that's for the police to decide whether this was an accident or a homicide. Okay. Aubrey's like, and we'll call the police immediately. Gideon then says, well, listen, you know, we've all been working together and like partners. So I want to make us official partners. Anyone who stays will get a substantial portion of the treasure, whatever treasure is found. So everyone's like, okay, you know, Jessica wants to figure out who, well, how Raymond died and if it was murder, who did it? So she was going to stay. She didn't want no parts of the treasure. Seth was going to stay because Jessica was going to stay. And I'm sure he wanted to know too. But the rest of them were like, uh, yeah, I'm about to stay and get some piece of this treasure. Once everyone except Steve, Jessica, and Seth leave the tent, Seth says Gideon could fall into a pigsty and come out president of the hogs. Okay, now that's saying something. (laughs) And Jessica's like, yes, gold fever is strong amongst these people. So I think it's interesting that Steve is standing there just listening. Like, was he supposed to be there? Was he also supposed to leave? Like, (laughs) he was just randomly in this scene and says nothing and has, like, no input. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so the next scene, we are at Gideon or in Gideon's trailer. It's him and Aubrey. And Aubrey's going to call the police and Gideon says, don't call the police. If the reporters come, they may mess up our opportunity to find something. And we'll call the reporters after we find the treasure. And, you know, Aubrey, you can leave, but I know the only, you and I know the only reason that you are here is for fame and money. That's it. Okay. You don't really care about any of the people on this dig. You just want your name in the paper. And that's that on that. So he's like, if you leave, I will sue you. Okay. Have a great day. So before Aubrey leaves, he turns around and he says, you know, maybe the revelation of a big fine will lessen the impact of the death of the young man. And so he agrees that he will not say anything or, well, he promises he won't call the police. And Gideon then proceeds to disable the radio 
just in case Aubrey changes his mind. But not just him, but if anybody gets access to the trailer slash camper, they won't be able to call the police on the radio. That's the only form of communication they have because there's no cell phones, right? And there's no landlines out there in the desert. So their radio is their only form of communication outside. So I'm like, uh, that's a bold move. But Gideon it gets what he wants. He's a dangerous man. And we'll hear that several times. So the next scene, we are in two places. So Seth is down where they were eating lunch, right? And they have a walkie-talkie. Jessica is up on the mountain where the person in Native American dress was, right? And so they're communicating through a walkie-talkie because she's not going to yell and be clearly heard, which apparently the Native American singer was able to do. Okay. (laughs) Oh, we have to move along with the plot. So um, Jessica then pretends to fall and Seth is like, Jessica, Jessica. And she's like, I'm fine, Seth. Um, Yeah, if Raymond fell off of this, He only fell three feet. The ledge goes completely around. So it's not like he could have fallen off the side. It's only three feet high. So Seth is like, okay, I got it. Um, I'll check the body again. Come down. Just come down. So she's like, I'll be right down. I just have to do one thing. So she picks up a, a, a heavy rock and throws it. And it falls exactly where the robe fell. Because the robe was very heavy. And when they found the body, she's like, it should have been right next to him. Uh, Jessica, it should have been on him. Like, it had sleeves. So, like, it should have been on him when he fell. Not just next to him and surely not thrown to the side. You were shot, allegedly, right? Or you heard the shot and you got scared and so you fell back. You would still have the headdress on and the robe. I don't understand why nobody realizes that he would not have had time after being shot or falling to his death that he would have time to take off the robe and the headdress. Okay? So (laughs) Jessica then comes down. The next scene, we have Jessica going to Aubrey's camper and he's set up outside with a table and chairs and he has croissants and he has like eggs benedict i'm like oh so aubrey is fancy and he can cook okay (laughs) because he for real like who was cooking this food because it doesn't seem like the chef for the entire campsite was skilled enough to do this so yeah Jessica then asks where the police are, like what's taking so long. And Aubrey says, well, they said it would be a while before they got here. And she's like, "Uh, for a possible murder? He was like, oh, it's an accident. It's an accidental death. So like, you know, there's no reason for them to rush to get here. And we find out from Aubrey that Gideon hired Raymond 
because he wanted a real Native American, but clearly it was just for show, that they all met at an, at an event and that Raymond approached Gideon and said that he knew about Native American heritage because he was Native American and that he would work for cheap. And so Gideon was all in for it because he was willing to do it for cheap and he was a real Native American. But Aubrey was like, my concern was that I don't believe that Raymond knew very much about his heritage. And which is seems to be the common theme here, right? <laughs> well, that's what you get for wanting cheap labor. So Aubrey was talking about a time when he was in Kenya and there was so much rain and he lost two Louis Vuitton bags. And Jessica was like, oh, that must have been terrible. <laughs> like, don't nobody care about your Louis Vuitton bags. Why are you taking Louis Vuitton bags to Kenya to do real work in the first place? Like, are you serious? Like, it wasn't a luxury vacation. That would be different. But you were going there allegedly to work. So, yeah, priority, sir. Anyway, so... We then find out why he wanted to speak with Jessica. And it's because he wants her to ghostwrite his autobiography, right? But an autobiography is supposed to be written by the person. (laughs) It's no longer an autobiography when someone else writes it. Then it's a biography, okay? Auto means self, okay? But I guess that's why he was like, ghostwrite. And he wants to name it. Wait for this. King Tut, Hannibal, Caesar, and me. Period. Okay. (laughs) He is doing the most. And so Jessica's like, I'm speechless. (laughs) That is the kindest shadiest thing that she could have said. And I love it. Love it. And so she's like, oh, this is such a weighty undertaking. I really need to give it some thought. You know, I need to give it some thought. And Aubrey's like, yes, I, you know, I agree. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I forget how it led up to this, but I think she indicated that she was going to look into Raymond's death or whatever. And she says, oh, I've just begun to dig and walks away. And Aubrey's like, (laughs) so it's like he got it, but kind of didn't get it, but kind of did get it. So (laughs) I actually don't hate Aubrey. He is just so full of himself and he doesn't realize it, nor does he care. And I appreciate that he's authentically obtuse. I love it. So (laughs) the next scene is Jessica and Seth walking around the tent area. And Seth reveals that he looked at Raymond's body again. And he found that he had symptoms of drowning. And Jessica's like, wait, what? (laughs) He drowned in the desert. So Seth is like, yeah, you know, I can take another look, but I'm, I'm pretty sure. 
And Jessica says she may question his chess strategies, but never his medical credentials, which much respect, I wouldn't either. So Jessica and Seth then try to get a Jeep because they doubt that the police were called. And so they want to drive into town. They being Seth is obviously going to be the one who's driving because Jessica doesn't drive. And they can't find the keys. They're then approached by one of the security guards carrying a gun. Okay. (laughs) It's not pointed. It's a rifle. It's just cradled in his arms. But, you know, the point is made. And he he says, nobody can leave without Mr. Armstrong's permission. So Seth wants to argue the issue. But Jessica's like, that's exactly what we're going to do. So they go to whichever tent that Gideon is in. And she says, Mr. Armstrong, there are laws against kidnapping, even in New Mexico. Like, honestly, you're in the United States. So come on, we have a constitution. So there's that. Anyway, so Gideon is like, you are free to leave. I am not holding you here. You just can't take one of my Jeeps. There are laws against Grand Theft Auto as well. Now, listen, you have provided transportation to this area, right? You are refusing to allow them to use said vehicles to get to civilization. You have also disabled the radio. That is, in fact, kidnapping, okay? Because you have prevented them from safely returning to civilization. It is impossible that they walk because they would be stuck in the desert for hours, if not days, probably days. And you have cut them off from all communication outside of this dig site. So yes, that is kidnapping Gideon, but okay. Anyway, (laughs) So they are now talking about the police not being called and Gideon's like, well, it was an accidental death. So what does that matter? And Seth says, no, he died by drowning. And Jessica says the fall from the cliff was staged. Gideon says, well, listen, I was with Aubrey when the shots were fired. So I have no idea. I was with him all night until dinner. Like, so I have an alibi. And Aubrey's like, uh, yes, question mark, question mark. (laughs) So they then go to try to use the phone, right? Not the phone, but, you know, the radio. And Cynthia is in the trailer alone. And she's like, listen, now you understand what the deal is. Like, he is a very dangerous man. And it's clear in this scene that Cynthia is scared of Gideon. In the next scene, gold is found. And everybody is just super excited. And they're like, oh my goodness, how much more of it is there is Gideon's question. And Aubrey's like, I don't know, there could be a lot, there could be a little, like this really could be it. So there's all this excitement. And while this excitement is going on, Seth and Jessica make their way to the Armstrong trailer to see if they can get, 
use of the phone. Well, the radio, that is. And Cynthia's in there and she lets them in and she's like, listen, he disabled the radio, but see what you can do. And we find out at this point that the radio is still disabled. Now we saw him disable it. It's still disabled. And Jessica is looking around at the maps on the wall and says, oh, Gideon's going to buy this property. To which Cynthia says, yes, um, but there's no guarantee that Howard Addington will sell. So as they're leaving, Cynthia asks them to promise that they will not tell Gideon that she let them into the trailer to try to use the radio or that she said anything about him selling, right? Or him buying the land, sorry. And Jessica's like, okay. And Cynthia's like, because he'd kill me. And she looked like she believed it. She looked like she is legitimately afraid of Gideon. So the next scene, before they get to Raymond's tent, Jessica bumps into Aubrey and Seth says he's going to go ahead. And so in speaking with Aubrey, Jessica reveals that Gideon wants to buy the land. And Aubrey's like, he would have told me we're friends. Well, we're associates, you know. And, you know, I I don't think that he would do that. And Jessica says he didn't call the police right? He is keeping us hostage here, basically. He said that you were his alibi and the look on your face was telling you all the color drained out. You looked afraid. Aubrey then said, Mrs. Fletcher, Gideon is a very dangerous man. Basically, he didn't want to cross him. And so... Jessica then says, well, you're an accessory to murder, you know? And Aubrey's like, listen, listen, wait a second, okay? Now, I was in my trailer dictating notes for our book. (laughs) She's like, right, 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 right. And the shots can be heard. I happen to be taping when Cynthia fired the shot. So I have an alibi, not that I need one, right? So Jessica's like, okay. And walks off. So the next scene, we're in Raymond's tent. And we find out that he is a student, or at least was a student, at Southwest University. And as well as Karen and Steve. And Dr. Garfield is a professor at Southwest University. We also find out that Raymond's real last name is DeMarco. To which... (laughs) (laughs) Seth says, and this is the only time I'm going to use this term again, right? That it must be, he must be one of the Indians from Naples. Now, I'm sorry, that was funny. Okay, that was funny. But I was, (laughs) I'd rather he said Native American from Naples, but we got what we got, right? Jessica then finds a pair of boots of Raymond's and they have greenish mud on them. And Jessica says, oh, look at these dirty boots. And Seth says, well, yeah, we're in the desert. Hello. 
And Jessica then says, well, no, this isn't dust or dirt. This is mud. And you know what that means. Mud means water. And then they walk out. So the next scene, they are somewhere in the desert. Now, I do not know, and they never say how far this area is from the campsite. And Seth has lost Jessica He finds this cave, he walks in, he's calling her name, she's not responding, which I'm like, Jessica, honestly, that's not cool at all. But then you start hearing the Native Americans singing like they had heard every night, and Jessica comes walking around with a lantern and a boombox. So they found the water source where the mud is, and it's green because of mineral deposits, There are also boxes of artifacts, tags with Southwest University uh, identification tags. Now, my question is, taking it back to the opening scene where the theft is occurring, how did this person, because it wasn't Raymond, the person has a completely different body type. He is clearly shorter and probably a few pounds lighter than Raymond Two Crows. So, okay, there's that. But how did this thief get these boxes, okay, these boxes of artifacts out of the museum? And we find out it's the museum at Southwest University. Up that rope. Like, did he walk out the front door? Was there another exit that he was able to access once he got in there? Did he, how did he climb back up the rope if he had these boxes? Because even if he had a book bag, I can understand him stealing the artifacts, but did his partner or somebody provide the boxes for him to put them in? No, they couldn't have because. They had Southwest University stamped on the side of the boxes, if I remember correctly. So I'm like, how did he he take the artifacts in the actual boxes? Anyway, but at least they still had the tags on it. So it wasn't like he sat there and took all the tags off, which would have been absolutely crazy. They also find the antique knife that we will recognize the thief had in the opening scene. The next scene, they are at the tents again, and you can overhear Steve and Karen arguing in a tent. And Steve is such a jerk. Like, this just solidifies his jerkness, okay? (laughs) So Steve goes stomping out of the tent. Karen follows after and Jessica's standing out there doing something. She wasn't eavesdropping per se, but they were super loud. And Karen's like, oh, you want something juicy for your book? Well, the fact is that Gideon had called her to his trailer to talk about something. She specified what it was and I forget what it was, but it was related to the dig. But when she got there, it turned sexually harassing. And he literally had her backed into a corner when the shots were fired. 
And that is the only reason she got out of that situation unscathed. Well, not really unscathed because how traumatizing is this, right? Because now you're stuck in this situation. And so she tells Steve this and he yells at her as if she was, as if it was her fault. Absolutely disgusting because Gideon is the person with all of the power here. This is classic sexual harassment and she could have been assaulted. She really could have been assaulted, but for Cynthia firing those shots and, you know, there being a commotion. That is absolutely terrible. And I understand it's 1985 and we have come a long way or yeah, 1985. And we've come a long way in our realization about the treatment of women and not victim blaming because men can be victims as well. So not victim blaming. And It just gets worse at the end, but I'm going to couch this in the fact that this happened in 1985 and it was also male writers. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about that at the end just for a little bit. So the next scene, Gideon is on the radio trying to buy the land immediately. He's like, make it go through now. I don't want to wait. It has to happen now. And Jessica comes in and she's trying to distract him and get him off the phone and tell him not to do it, tell him not to do it. He then gets off the radio, which he's clearly fixed. So whatever part he took out, he was able to snap back in and get it working. And Jessica says, listen, you only listen to yourself. And that can be a very expensive mistake right now. So you can follow me or you don't have to as you wish. And then she walks out. So they go to the site and there's a commotion that more gold has been found. And Seth is the one who found the gold artifact. He then hands it to, I think, Dr. Garfield or Dr. Benson. Both of them are there. Aubrey is there and Stan is there, right? And Seth says, oh, it was so nice of the, I'm going to say Native Americans, to tag it for us. And they look at it, and I believe it's Aubrey who's holding it, says it has a Southwest University tag on it. And Gideon is like, wait, so this is stolen? Like, what? what's happening? Was this not here? And Jessica says, well, salted away among the broken crockery were the stolen artifacts, the stolen golden artifacts. And they then go into the food tent for the reveal. That the curse was reverse psychology. It was meant to fool Gideon. They didn't care about fooling anyone else. That Raymond was a fraud. That the real owner of the land is the one who set this up. And that Gideon then reveals that he wanted to buy the land cheap before the owners found out about the gold. And Jessica says, oh, yes, the owner, Howard Addington. And Gideon's like, no one knew who I was dealing with. To which Jessica says, somebody knew. And why don't you ask your wife? So Cynthia's like, me? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Let's get to the point. So she finally admits that she bought the land in secret. And she got Garfield on board And he made all the introductions. He made sure that everybody on the dig was naive and new and could be fooled. And that she got him 
no, that he hired Raymond to steal the artifacts from Southwest University because he knew him. He was a student of his or at least a student at Southwest University that they were going to then sell the land and make millions by selling it to Gideon, right? Setting up this whole thing, getting him to purchase the land for some exorbitant price, which was still lower than it should have been worth. And then finding out that none of it was real was the big getcha gotcha. So Jessica's like, well, why did you kill Raymond? And she said, because he got greedy. He threatened to tell Gideon what was happening. And then he attacked me. And so they do the flashback and he like is grabbing her and shaking the heck out of her. He then throws her down. She picks up a rock and she hits him in the back of the head. He falls into the water. She thought he was dead from the hit to the head. She actually says she hit him several times. So it wasn't just the one hit to the head and he was dead. She beat his head in, which is like, wow, Cynthia. And you'll notice her outfit, which was kind of amazing. But she is wearing those sandals that she had been scraping mud off of. How did she get to that cave and was in that cave with those shoes on? That's why I'm so confused. I'm like, did they, <laughs> did she drive up there? Anyway, that's why I thought it was boots. But no, like looking at her outfit much closer, she had on platform sandals and that's how she got the green mud on them that she was cleaning off. But I have no idea how she got from the campsite over the sand, over the rocks and uneven ground to the cave and walked around in the cave. Anyway, Gideon is like, why would you do this? I would have given you anything. And she's like, oh, you gave me what you wanted to give me. I wanted to get out of this stinking marriage and away from your miserable face. I was like, yo, homegirl ain't scared of him. She played that role as a scared wife, a scared kept wife. When homegirl had her own money stashed away, bought this land on the low and had a whole trick scheme, scam and scandal going on and had him completely fooled. He looked shocked. Okay. (laughs) He was ultimately embarrassed, like just on so many levels. Anyway, so the last scene is everyone packing up, but specifically Jessica and Seth are getting ready to leave. We hear Steve and Karen arguing again, and then suddenly it turns from arguing to, you know, breathlessness and making out, basically. And a hand comes out and zips the tent. Are you freaking kidding me? This man that blamed you for getting into a situation with Gideon that was beyond your control, okay? And you were almost victimized. Well, you actually were victimized. You were a victim of sexual harassment and possibly almost sexual assault. And now you're making out and getting together with this guy. He's a jerk. This is disgusting. This is absolutely disgusting. But again, 1985, we have become more enlightened about these situations So I'm going to get off my soap box one more time to close this episode out. (laughs) Just disgusting. Anyway, 
But we find out a little bit more about Seth. One, that he does like a romantic movie, okay? Mm-hmm. And two, that this is still one of his interests and that he is interested in going on a dig in Tanzania next year. Now, we never see that, but I like to see this side of Seth. I really like his dynamic with Jessica a lot, just period. And to see them with this dynamic outside of Cabot Cove, so much better. I I love this treat, right? So that's that on that. Another great episode. I did have my two soapbox moments, so not sorry. Tis what it is. Um, But yeah, so next week we have Murder by Appointment Only. Um, that's an okay episode. We'll see. We'll go through it and we'll have a good time of it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And of course, you can go over to my Patreon. There are a lot of great things uploaded as well as early access to the podcast. And that is, of course, the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. (laughs) The link is in the description box. Anyway, I will see you next Sunday at 5 p.m. for Murder by Appointment Only. So until then, have an amazing week. Bye.